What is happening, everyone? It is another edition of Split Decision. Along with Will Brewer, I am Colby Daniels. Will UFC 289 in the books. We'll talk all about that fight card, the fallout, and everything that lies ahead in a giant MMA week for us. How are you, my friend? I'm a little disappointed because my Heat lost in five games to the Denver Nuggets. But uh, outside of that, uh, and as far as MMA is concerned... Uh, it's a very good week um, uh, coming off of a pay-per-view where where we were talking about how the star power and all that wasn't, you know, we were comparing it to 270 and everything. But in terms of entertainment value, this fight card, in my opinion, it, it, it delivered. Yeah, I mean, it, it rarely does a fight card at the end of it just completely stink, right? It may lack star power, it may lack hype, but very rarely do I walk away from a fight card thinking... That was a terrible night of fights, or I wasn't entertained at all. Um, you know, maybe there are some fight cards that I'm more entertained by than others. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment. By the way, you didn't actually believe your Heat were going to win, did you? <laughs> no, uh, okay. I was okay. under. The, I actually thought that the Heat were going to lose their second play-in game after they lost to the Hawks. <laughs> I, I thought. So the fact that they even made it to the finals was okay. uh, was a shock to me. But I mean, I, I was very impressed by what I saw uh, from the Heat. Uh, it was uh, very impressive. Uh, Jimmy Butler carried them as long as they could. You know, we had some of the bench players come through: Gabe Vincent, uh, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, all that stuff. Caleb but, Martin, yeah, yeah, K- Caleb Martin in the Eastern Conference Finals. But uh, let's. I mean, let's be real. The Nuggets were just a better team. Uh, yeah. They they rarely make mistakes, and you saw that over the course of five games. The one the one game that they really made mistakes, they lost. And you know, Miami just didn't have the offensive right. consistency to keep up with them. So that's right. Uh, but still proud of my Heat, man. Yeah, yeah. man. They yeah. they were they, they were the eighth seed. Come on. That's right. I mean, I I didn't think they would beat Milwaukee, but I did pick them to beat the Knicks. I thought they would they would. Uh, win that series in five. I picked them to beat the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, so I thought they would beat the Celtics as well. And then they faced the Nuggets and nothing against the Heat. I just thought it was a terrible matchup for them. And I just thought it was going to be more about Denver uh, stopping itself than anything Miami could do because you can't make adjustments when you have personnel issues, right? It was just a bad matchup from the beginning. I thought Denver would win it in five. And... uh you know, I, I I think Miami did as well as they possibly could have, barring having different players on the team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. It was a mismatch. Denver, they had they were just too big. Um, right. You can't you the Heat tried to you know play Kevin Love and that worked in their favor in, in game two, but you know the Nuggets, like you said, they had to beat themselves, and they rarely rarely make mistakes. Yeah. We saw that against the Lakers. I mean, all. All playoffs. They they beat a KD and Devin Booker led Suns team. They beat they swept the Lakers. Uh, this was just their time, uh, and and you know the Heat just didn't have enough to uh, compete with the with the Nuggets, man. But agreed. Uh, they looked they looked outstanding. Jokic proved that he's probably the best player in the world, and Murray coming off the ACL looked incredible. So just uh, very well put together team. Maybe we can move away from super teams and we can uh, build around. A, a superstar and organically uh, yeah yeah or, organically <laughs> yeah i'm with you all right let's uh let's jump into ufc 289 and i think we have to start with 
uh, what was somewhat of a lackluster main event, I think, in terms of drama. Uh, but once again, it was Amanda Nunes inserting her dominance inside the octagon. There's a reason she is the GOAT. I think that was on full display on Saturday night. She calls it a career after a another completely dominant performance. Uh, I think one of the cards was 50-43, which uh, was probably right around where I would have been. Uh, if I were actually scoring that fight, but it was so lopsided that uh, I wasn't even paying attention to where I would maybe give two-point rounds. Um, Amanda Nunes will, I mean, one of the, I think you have to say, icons of the UFC. Yeah, man, and and she kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, she, I, I uh, think that she was the champion, the, the all-time great that the UFC never saw coming because when... When Amanda came over from Strike Force, uh, you had Ronda Rousey as the champion. You had Misha Tate, who people knew. Um, Amanda just kind of came, and you know she lost that fight with with Katzengano, and uh, people kind of wrote her off. And then she just slowly but surely started, you know, working her way back up there. And I thought that she should have got a title shot way before she fought Misha Tate. Uh, but on the same card that Misha Tate beat Holly Holm. Amanda Nunes had to go up against some newcomer named Valentina Shevchenko and ended up winning that fight. And then next thing you know, uh, Amanda's fighting uh, Misha for the title. And then she goes on this incredible run, double champion, beats Cyborg, beats Ronda, beats all anybody who you would think is an all-time great in the women's MMA. She has beaten. Um, what an incredible run. Uh, defended the featherweight title, defended the bantamweight title numerous times. Uh, she did lose against Juliana, but her legacy was already cemented. Um, and then to to close it out like that, uh, and then you you see that visual. Uh, she leaves both belts in the octagon, and then her gloves like that's just unprecedented to to yeah. do that to be to retire as a double champion. Um, it's just incredible. She was uh, not only the greatest female MMA fighter of all time, but she's one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time, regardless of gender. You know, when she beat Ronda, I mean, she propelled into a completely new stratosphere, right? And it put her in, in this, uh, this completely different world that, that from that point on, right, she was uh, more of a household name. She became a gigantic superstar and that's not to take anything away from everything she did before Ronda, but you know, Ronda Rousey was was viewed as such an unstoppable force that uh, I think when Amanda came along um, and and just kind of it was it's like getting that signature win, right? That one like punctuating something that really like verifies your greatness. And I think like following that win, everything she did was fully appreciated as opposed to maybe the way that it was before. Yeah, Ronda was like such a big superstar. Uh, headlining pay-per-views, beating women in 14 seconds and 16 seconds. Uh, she had just lost to Holly, but you know everyone thought that she was going to come back with a vengeance. And right. you know not many people knew Amanda, so you, everyone's thinking, you know, Ronda's going to come out here and have her way with uh, with Amanda. I was under the impression that Ronda was going to get hurt. I did not think that it was going to be that as fast as it was, but um, Amanda's. I mean, her her all around skill set. I just think Ronda hadn't seen anything up to that point. And as soon as she touched Ronda with the first right hand, it was over from then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ronda had never felt anything like that. 
And then, you know, she, after she won, she's shushing the crowd. She's shushing her Dana White. She's shushing uh, the, the announcers. She gets on the microphone. She's like, stop with all this Ronda Rousey nonsense. I'm the <laughs> champion. I'm not a nudist. I'm the lioness. I'm the champion around here. So uh, after she did that, man, like you said, it got fully appreciated. And then she goes up to, to fight Cyborg. Yeah. And Cyborg was the dominant force that no one saw, that no one thought would ever be beat. Um, whenever, whenever Cyborg would touch uh, someone, it would just be over. And Amanda beat Cyborg at her own game. I mean, it was just, it's just crazy, man. Amanda has shown that in all aspects of MMA, um, th- these female fighters can be great. And that's what she was, man. Are you disappointed that we're not going to get a trilogy fight between Amanda and Juliana Pena? Absolutely not. Oh, I mean, <laughs> oh, God. Poor, I mean, I understand what Juliana's doing. I mean, bless her heart. But, man, we and we saw everything we needed to see in that second fight. And credit to her. She, she made it scrappy. She made Amanda fight for 25 minutes. But that was a 50-45. And, I mean... If they would have fought again, it would have been another 50-45. I mean, the way Amanda looks, it looked like she took her training seriously, and yeah. uh, she looked like she was fully locked in. So I, I don't think that fight would have been any different. So I, I don't think um, I have any desire to see a trilogy. I don't think it would have been much different. I still think it's Amanda by a pretty significant margin. But I guess, like, from my perspective... I would like to see Amanda go out in a fight where I feel like she's at least being pushed. Uh, and look, she she dominated Juliana, but Juliana was pushing her, right? Like, Amanda had to dominate her because Juliana wasn't going to lay down. And I'm not saying that Aldana laid down, but Aldana certainly didn't bring the fight to Amanda. Uh, I think that if you were to ask... Uh, Aldana today, if if that was uh, her best fight, she's certainly going to say no. And I'm sure there's a lot of things she wished she would have uh, done differently. Um, I, you know, just just to have maybe like some resistance, um, for as much resistance as you can give Amanda. I think from that regard, and then just the the genuine bad blood between the two. Um, I, I I probably would have preferred to see Amanda go out on the Juliana fight. Yeah, I, I mean, I can I can definitely understand that. I mean, but uh, when you look at it, if I I think Aldana kind of just beat herself. I think she was I think she had already lost the fight before she got in Agreed. there. Agreed. Uh, I think um, leading up to it, she, she seemed really intense, and I I was under the impression like, oh, she's going to bring the fight to to Amanda. She seems like she wants to get in her face and show her like, I'm here, I'm ready for this. She gets into the fight, and it's just like. She is covering up her face for dear life. Like, she did not want to take any shots uh, from Amanda. I think if she just would have went out there and fought her fight, you, you never know what could have happened. Right. I mean, maybe you, maybe you get finished, but maybe you land something. In the first round, she landed the shot that kind of uh, spun Amanda around. Yeah. Like, if, if she just would have actually fought, you never know what would have happened. But um, it just never seemed like she could really pull the trigger. Uh, unless Amanda was trying to tee off on it, then then she was like she was trying to counter. But yeah, I mean, I would have liked to see um, Amanda go out on a, you know on a tougher fight where she kind of like in the last one where she's battered and everything, but she had co- uh, completely shown that she's better than this girl. Right. Uh, but it was actually a scrap. Um, but 
I, I was I was very excited for this fight because I thought Aldana was the was she she's clearly bigger. She's got the power. Um, I knew that Amanda had the overall MMA advantage, but I just thought that Mexican toughness that Irene Aldana has has shown in fights before was going to come out. And it just it, it just she just couldn't pull the trigger, man. It's it's, it's unfortunate. It's just kind of a failure to launch, right? Like she just never yeah. really. Uh, lifted off and and got going, and uh, as the fight went on, you knew that uh, she was just kind of being buried underneath the the, the Amanda um, swarm, if you will. But yeah, uh, you know, just from that regard, like I, I had a hard time, I guess, watching it in real time, like appreciating how great Amanda was. Unlike the Juliana fight, where Amanda was completely dominant, but Juliana Pena was doing everything in her power, right? to make that fight as tough as humanly possible. And in this one, Amanda was great, but but there just wasn't the resistance where, like, I feel like, from my perspective, I got the full appreciation of how great Amanda was. Uh, so I think I think from that regard, it, it's unfortunate for me, as uh, a fan of Amanda Nunes, who without question is the the female GOAT. Yeah, the, the female GOAT, uh, without a doubt. Um, for... All the stuff that Juliana was was talking, I mean, you you do got to give her credit. Like um, one of the quotes that she said before the Amanda fight, she said, "If me and Amanda are locked in the house, uh, I'm gonna be the one that to get out of that house." And I and I fully like believe that because like <laughs> Juliana is going to scratch claw no matter how much times on the clock she's going to be trying to win the right. fight. Her skills might not match up her her dog toughness. But she's going to make that fight uh, a scrap, no matter no matter what, and it, it's sh- it's shown in every single fight that Juliana's had. Uh, it, it's she's going to be going there and be tough, and it, even against Amanda. That's why Amanda lost that first fight. She thought, well, skill for skill, I'm way better than her. But Juliana's toughness just sh- just you know shine through in that in that fight. And Amanda had to reach down in her in her soul and pull something out. Uh, to go along with her with her skill and pull out that dog that we weren't really sure that Amanda really had at this point. So um, it would have been nice to see that happen uh, with this Aldana fight. Yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't. But, uh, man, I still can remember uh, all, of the, all of her great fights uh, where uh, people kind of thought, you know, maybe Amanda's going to lose this time. Uh, but she never did man she went that's one of the great runs regardless of gender that you'll that you'll see man she beat all of the former bantamweight champions all of the former featherweight champions she beat them all man yeah i mean it, i think before the the juliana the first juliana fight like megan anderson felicia like it had reached a point where she had cleared out the division and she had distanced herself i think so far from the pack that it just reached a point where it was just like, it became a foregone conclusion. Like Amanda's just going to dominate and it's not even going to be a tough fight. And I think that's probably partially what led to that first Juliana fight, right? Absolutely. I mean, you, she was fighting at 145, not, not having to cut weight against Felicia Spencer and Megan Anderson. And those girls had nothing for Amanda. She was one of those fights, yeah. 50 to 40 feet, 50 to 43, 50 to 44. Um, so she's not cutting weight. She's winning easily, but then she's she's having to cut weight. Uh, she didn't have a good camp, and then she's fighting someone in Juliana who may not be uh, of the the same skill, but she's got that toughness. 
And I think she underestimated her. I think she under, underestimated how tough Juliana actually was and the cost of her title. Um, so I, I think she had to go back to the drawing board. Uh, she had to get re-locked in on, on her training. That's why she moved camp. She, had, she got her own uh, studio where she's able to train and have her family with her and all that. I think body-wise, uh, her last two fights, she's looked – that's the best that she's ever looked. I mean, yeah. throughout her whole entire title reign, her, her career – I think that's the best that she's looked in these last two fights. She's had her body just looked outstanding. She looked in shape, uh, ready to go five rounds. And she went five rounds two times in a row. People questioned her cardio, uh, but she went five rounds. And that Juliana fight was a barn burner. And this one, she could have did what she did with Aldana for 10 rounds. I mean, that was just a kind of a sparring contest. Uh, but um, yeah, man. I mean, what else can you say about Amanda? Uh, yeah. Truly the GOAT. I mean, I would have liked her to go out on a Juliana fight or maybe even a Valentina fight. You know, just something that where, you know, her skills can be really tested. But, um, you know, if she goes out on, on Aldana, I mean, what can you do, man? Yep. that's That was the last point I was going to make is the UFC rarely misses. Like, they they smash the ball almost every time it's thrown their direction. Um, we talked about this before the first Juliana fight. Like there was this giant opportunity when you looked at, at the divisions and how far uh, seemingly ahead of everyone else. Amanda was how far ahead of everyone else. Valentina was both of them seemingly at the, the peak of their game. Right. And we talked about the, if you're ever going to do it, the opportunity is now. And if you wait too long, you're going to miss that chance for an all time blockbuster. Right. Because I think, Versus where they were when they met up the first and second time to where they would have been, you know, what, a year, year and a half ago. I mean, you're talking about, you know, arguably the biggest fight in women's MMA history. And they waited too long. They missed the boat. Amanda ends up losing to Pena. Then you have to do the rematch. Valentina ends up losing. And and we missed out on what would have been, I mean, an all-time iconic women's matchup. Yeah, um, I think at this point it would have been it would have been great to see, especially after Valentina became uh, a champion, because uh, we've seen Amanda right. beat the prospect Valentina, and then we saw Amanda beat the the contender Valentina, but we never saw Amanda fight the champion Valentina. I think um, that would have been very entertaining to see. Um, that second fight was already close; it was debatable, you know, on who actually won. Uh, Amanda won on, on my cards, but I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be mad if you say Valentina won. That fight was that close. Um, but yeah, it's just unfortunate because I, I think um, they were at a point, both women were at a point where you're kind of searching for contenders, right. searching for that for, for that next person. And they, they missed it. Um, I think, you know, Amanda fighting Felicia and Megan and then you're kind of wondering what's next at 135. There was a clear opportunity there for for it just to be Valentina. Uh, Dana said, just kept saying, you know, uh, you know, like I don't really uh, have the the you know the desire to see it. But it's just like, man, like what else are you going to do? And then eventually, when you want to see it, then shit like Juliana happens, and then shit That's like right. Alexa Grasso happens. So yeah, like you said, they 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 missed it, uh, and now we won't get a chance to see it. But I, I do think. You know, maybe Valentina moves up, 
and you know she goes on a dominant run or something and she calls out amanda maybe amanda will want to uh fight one more time um i think uh there's two women that amanda would come back for and a lot would have to happen for this to happen it would, it would be Valentina if she go if she moves up and she starts claiming that she's the bantamweight goat. She has a long title reign. Or if Kayla Harrison moves to the UFC and has uh, a dominant title run at bantamweight. I think those are the fights that Amanda would come back for. But outside of that, like she's not going to come back for Aldana or Juliana or Raquel Pennington. <laughs> right. So I think it's just those two. And clearly she's not going to come back for Juliana. I mean, yeah. like, if she wanted to fight Juliana again, yeah. that fight could happen next. But yeah, I, I yeah, good. I just I don't see where that ever happens. I mean, no matter. I mean, Juliana could become champion and go on a long run. And I don't think she would ever be interested in coming back. So, no. by the way, could could Kayla Harrison fight at 135? I mean, it would it would take a lot of lifestyle changes, but uh, no. Um, as of right now, the answer is no. Uh, it would have to be a featherweight because she's barely. Uh, I think she's barely just now starting to fight at one forty-five. So, yeah, and they're. I, I, Dana basically alluded to the fact that they're probably moving away from the the one forty-five division, right? Yeah, because I mean, they only brought that division in because of Cyborg, and then Amanda right. beat Cyborg, and then. I think there was no real desire to have that division stay around after Amanda beat Cyborg, but you know you just did it so Amanda could still have two titles. But That's now right. that she's gone, there's no reason to, you know, keep that keep that division around. Yeah. So we were texting after this thing concluded, and I I don't remember if you sent me this or I sent you one way or the other. Uh, one of us said to the other. Valentina Shevchenko and Juliana Pena for the 135 belt. Count me in on that matchup, which I think would be awesome. Well, I said Valentina's going to move up, and then you said Valentina versus Pena, and then okay. I was just like, that's that's perfect. Um, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, because, like, you know, Amanda's gone, so you look at the landscape of the division, and you got, you know, Juliana at the top, obviously, uh, but then you got Raquel Pennington, who was uh, who weighed in as a backup, and then you got Holly Holm, who who's there, who's kind of uh, you know a fan favorite, I guess you could say. But she's in her forties now. Um, I think when you have a, a dominant champion like Amanda um, relinquish the titles, I think you you still want to kind of make the division keep it relevant. You know, you want to give your best to um, I'm. Not, uh, I'm you know, stars, I guess you could say. I mean, the, I think and, in terms of anybody that could make, that could fight at 135, those would be by far the two biggest names, right? Yeah, for, for sure. Those would be the, the two biggest names that you could throw in there to fight for that title. Um, it would, Valentina and anybody. Um, but, you know, Juliana had, was the one that beat Amanda. So I think it just makes a ton of sense to see Valentina and, and Juliana fight uh, for that title. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure Valentina is going to want to, uh, before anything, fight Alexa Grasso again. Um, but if, if that fight were on the horizon, then I think it would be a layup for the UFC to be like, all right, this is the fight yeah. for the for the title. Um, but I'm curious to see what, what they do with it. But I, I do think that it's going to be Juliana versus someone. 
for this. By time. the way, I so I I was pulling up both fighters and their resumes after we were having that conversation Saturday, and I did not remember at all that they had fought in 2017. I had no yeah. recollection of that whatsoever. Yeah, with so Valentina like, beating uh, Juliana by armbar in round two. Yeah, so it was one of uh, Valentina's last fight. That was the fight before she fought Amanda for the title. Like, whoever won that fight was going to get the title shot. That's why Amanda always said, like, Juliana, like, you always lost those fights before to, yeah. uh, before you had to fight me. <laughs> so, like, that's why we... I'm not ducking you. You just never won the that number one contender fight. Um, but... Uh, Juliana was, this was before she had the baby. Uh, Juliana was undefeated at the time, I believe. Um, and, and, and Valentina came in and, uh, made this big splash. She had just beat Holly Holm. Um, and I, it was, a, it was a main event on a fight night. I'll never forget it. Uh, Juliana took her down at first and everything was, was looking good. And then just Valentina just caught her, you know, Valentina was, wasn't the submission type person at the time. She was the striker. But then she pulled out that armbar. I don't think anybody was expecting it. And it, she had it in deep, and Juliana had no choice but to tap. Um, but that was a very uh, phenomenal performance from Valentina. But, yeah, they, they have fought before. Uh, but if, you know, Juliana, she sells fights so well, she would probably go into that, into a, a rematch with Valentina and say, like, I took you down effortlessly and I, I was ground ground pounding you. That armbar was out of desperation. Like yeah. she'd probably say something like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that matchup. I think it would be a giant spotlight matchup to really like kickstart this post Amanda Nunes era in the bantamweight division. Uh, understanding that Valentina has, has maybe other things on the agenda uh, before the bantamweight division. I think you sent me the graphic where somebody proposed Aaron Blanchfield, Juliana Pena. Now, this, I think, in terms of the marquee, doesn't doesn't do nearly as much, I would assume, for, for the collective MMA fan, but sign me up for that one too, baby. That one would be an awesome matchup, and I would love to see Aaron Blanchfield on that stage because uh, I think she's got that sort of uh, level in her. Absolutely. Um... You know, it does seem like when she's fighting these flyweights that she just has such a strength advantage, uh, a size advantage on them, too. Um, the way that she uh, did Jessica Andrade like that, like nobody does that to, to Andrade. And the way she did that so effortlessly, it makes you think, like, maybe, you know, what would happen if she did move up to 135? I think stylistically, it's a very fun matchup between her and Juliana or her. You know, Valentina is not is is in her weight class right now. So. Uh, that would be a very intriguing fight. Um, and then, like, Aaron Blanchfield against a Holly Holm, a, a striker versus grappler type matchup. I mean, there's so much you can do. There, It's clear that Aaron Blanchfield is a is a future star yeah. uh, in this game. Uh, I think it's, uh, it, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility for Aaron Blanchfield to get this shot. I would not have any problem with it uh, because I feel like right now Aaron Blanchfield is a bigger star than Raquel Pennington. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and no disrespect I think so. to, Ra- so. no yeah. to Raquel, but it's just, you know, she's just kind of there, you know, more ju- does- I think she has more juice right at the moment. Absolutely. She, she does. And it, you know, Raquel's looked outstanding in her last few fights. Uh, but it's just Aaron Blanchfield just has that star quality, um, that cold blooded killer to her. Um, 
Hamzat level, you know, she she that the way she beat Molly McCann and the way that she beat Jessica Andrade, like there's something there with her. Yeah. Um, and it would be great to see her fight for the title. In terms of mainstream appeal, uh, I wonder if a Juliana Pena Holly Holm matchup uh, would do well. I would assume just because Holly Holm's name is so big that 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 would probably do pretty well. I know that Holly Holm has a fight coming up in July. If she were to win that, though, Will, bear with me for a moment. Since her Amanda loss, that would if she wins her next fight, that would make her winner of four of the last five. And the only loss would have been that that split decision to Caitlin Vieta, which I thought she won. Uh, I, I don't remember if which way you were on that side of it, but I thought Holly Holm won that fight. So, I mean, you can make the argument that, uh, you know, she's on a pretty impressive run since the Amanda loss. Yeah, uh, I definitely thought that she won that fight. Um, I'm not going to say it was a robbery um, because if you on on first glance, I thought Holly won. But on second glance, you can make a case uh, for for Caitlin Vieira, kind of like the Albazi and Kai Car France fight. Um, but yeah, she's she's won four out of five. Uh, she's only continuously getting better. She beat Aldana. Um, she, you know, she, the wrestling is getting there. Um, her striking is always dangerous. Beat Pennington in the stretch crisp. too. Yeah, yeah. Beat beat Pennington. Uh, she's beat. She's got two victories over Pennington. So, you know, if you can't do the Valentina fight. And then if you don't really want to take that chance on Aaron Blanchfield, I think that Holly Holm is your best, is your biggest name, not named Juliana Pena. And I think yeah. it's just, I think it just makes a ton of sense to to give the title fight, especially if, if Holly Holm wins this fight in July, um, to make it Pena versus uh, Holly yeah. Holm. And Holm and Pena were supposed to fight in May of 2021, but I believe Holly Holm injury prevented that one from happening. So uh, it should be fun to watch play out. There are a number of ways that I think you can go uh, that makes sense, but uh, I think they've got to do something that makes a splash as the goat moves on. Because if you don't make a splash, um, you know, it's, it's going to just kind of be maybe this, well, it's not Amanda type of mentality toward that division, unfortunately. Okay. So the co-main event, I've been waiting to talk about this and I'm just going to start it with, Charles Dubronx Oliveira. That's it, Will. Go ahead. Mike Whatever you want to say. Like, Mike, that's it. That's Mike all I got to say. Uh, man. I, I want to say, like, is was this a y'all must have forgot type of win? Uh, I think... Um, I'm not going to say everyone was writing him off, but, you know, the, you know, the, the Benil was the favorite. What I think many people, and, and myself included, uh, I'm mainly speaking about myself, I looked at this fight from a lens of how they both would do against Islam. I don't know if you if you did some, something similar to that, but seeing Charles lose to Islam and then thinking thinking about how I felt Benil would do against Islam kind of made me think like, okay, I, I, I'm kind of liking how Benil would, would uh, end this fight with Charles. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I did think that this fight wasn't going to go to a decision. And I thought that that favored, that favored Charles. But I just thought, like, like Charles was going to get dropped and Benil wasn't going to be scared to go right. to the ground with him. So the fight's going and, you know, Charles is on the ground. Benil's, you know, landing strikes and stuff. But when they got back to their feet, oh. 
and Charles just walked this man down and put uh put that head kick on him and then just smothered him. I mean, it was it just looked like the Charles Oliveira that was the lightweight champion. Um, put got Benil out of there in the first round. Uh, just overwhelmed him uh, after they got back to their feet. I mean, that was a true. Y'all must have forgot. Uh, I'm still here. Uh, I'm still one of the best, if not the best, in the world. Um, just it was just an incredible performance from Charles. And then, like he he comes out and and he's crying and stuff. Like I don't know about you, but I was like, this is either going to go really good for Charles or really really bad. Like seeing him come out and being so emotional. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't. I, I don't know how. I I just couldn't re- get a read on how I thought the fight was going to go, but um, it was just it was just incredible, man. Charles came off uh, as such a big star in Canada. Uh, the, the crowd was going crazy for him. I mean, I, I I know how you feel already. We were texting about it, but sign me up for Islam and Charles too. I mean, I, I think that first fight was just. Um, I think that was a, a Charles loss more than it was an Islam win. And I would love to see them run it back. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, so much to talk about with this thing. Uh, let's start with, okay, so you mentioned you you kind of did the MMA math, which is a big no-no, Will, and I know you know better in terms of like Charles versus Islam or Benil versus Islam. I, I, I agree with you that I thought if you ask me which of those fighters I would rather throw in the octagon to beat Islam, I'm picking Benil Dariush. I think he's a better matchup for Islam than Charles is. But in t- I, I, didn't, I didn't personally factor that into my decision between these two guys. I was so torn. I was 50-50, and I, I kept talking myself into both sides of this. And ultimately, where I landed was... And I think I think that uh, I think Benil Darius used this word in one of his media availabilities last week. He said he used the word durable, and I think that's what ultimately was the deciding factor for me in this fight because I felt like both guys could have good moments on the feet, both guys could ha- have good moments on the ground. It was a matter of which guy would have the better opportunity to capitalize from, and I felt like. We've seen Charles hurt more often than we've seen Benil Dariush hurt. I felt like Benil would be able to take shots better than Charles, not in any way discounting Charles' ability, but we, you know, we saw Chandler hurt Charles. We saw Poirier hurt Charles. We saw Gaethje hurt Charles. Uh, I mean, Benil Dariush is capable of doing the same thing. Uh, so I just felt like, in terms of maybe the different exchanges that could happen, Benil hurting Charles and having an opportunity to me seem like a greater uh, bet than the other way around. Uh, it was wrong, but that was my thought process. Um, I, I told you this last week too. I was going to be absolutely thrilled for the winner of that fight, and I was going to be absolutely heartbroken for the loser of that fight because I like both guys. I thought both guys were in such a unique position where I thought Benil Dariush had already earned a title shot regardless of this fight, which now obviously is is going to be robbed from him, and Islam Makashev has to be doing backflips that he doesn't have to face, I think, the toughest matchup in the lightweight division for him. Uh, but for Charles Oliveira, dude, think about the run that this motherfucker is on. Think about the names he's beat, the way that he's beat them, 
And the entertainment value that he's given us inside the octagon over the last, I mean, what, two, three-year run? It is fucking spectacular. Like, Hall of Fame caliber. Like, this is what he did against, I mean, you could go back to, I mean, the Tony fight is probably the one that really made people pay attention, right? Um, Or, I, I don't know, maybe the Kevin Lee fight. I think the Tony one was probably the one that really elevated him. To, to really get consideration to fight the best of the best. And then, I mean, you know, the Chandler fight was wild, right? The Poirier fight was great. The Gaethje fight's one of the, like, best singular rounds uh, I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, the Islam fight just seemed like such an outlier from Charles in terms of what we've seen from him recently. And then you get this where it looked like, I mean, the way that fight was going was exactly kind of what I thought was going to happen. And the next thing you know, it's like, Here's what Charles doing what he does. And once again, everybody, I think, undervaluing what his power is at that at that uh, division. Um, I, he's remarkable, man. And this run is world class. This run is is as good as it gets in terms of the names he's beaten and the way he's beaten them. Yeah, I, I mean, there's not much else to say. I mean, he that his run for sure is one of the great lightweight runs of all time. Uh, I saw uh, uh, a poll question on who is the greatest lightweight of all time. And at this point, I'm pretty torn uh, because you can't, what Charles has done is, is just, it's remarkable. Uh, It's, it's a hall of fame career. Uh, The, his lightweight title run was, uh, it was it was great. It, it should be greater than it is, but he had that weight miss, and that kind of messed everything up. Yeah. But um, I mean, in terms of the entertain entertainment value and just how he's completely changed his career uh, around, um, like I can remember, like they were talking about when he was fighting uh, Max Holloway at one forty five the last time he was in Canada, and that fight never really got started because like it ended in the in the first 30 seconds because of a, some throat injury that charles had yeah um but since then like he he just built himself up so slow but just like jared gordon and jim miller and um uh shoot i, I forget Lentz. uh some nick Lentz, you know uh and then he fight he fights kevin lee and you're just like oh charles Oliveira's back at the main event like oh uh, kevin lee's probably gonna win this one and then he he finishes Kevin Lee, and then he fights Tony Ferguson. And you think like, all right, well, Tony just lost to Gaethje, but Tony's gonna get back on track. You know, Oliveira yeah. is not really that like that. He smokes Tony Ferguson. Uh, do- it was complete he, domination. Complete domination. Thirty twenty six, I, I think, so, was on some scorecards. Then you know he he finishes Michael Chandler. That fight was so entertaining. The Poirier fight. He never let Poirier get started. Um, even though he took some shots, I mean, that fight was tremendous. And then the Gaethje fight, he beat Gaethje at his own game. Yeah. I, I did not see that coming. I mean, when you hear Gaethje talk about how uh, the power of Charles, like if anyone questions Charles' power, just ask Justin Gaethje. He, he got it in the uh, first 10 seconds of that fight. Like <laughs> He hurt him with the first punch he threw. And Gaethje was just fighting on autopilot from there. That's I mean, right. it was just... It was just remarkable. Like you said, that Islam fight is an outlier. 
And I would love to see them fight again because I think Charles went out there and kind of forced forced things and kind of made it easy for Islam to um, to kind of have his way and trying to and have success. But I think if they were to run that back, um, I think it would be a different fight, man. I, I would love to see it, man. Um, I hope that they can get this that um, they can get this done, but it doesn't look like Islam wants it. Yeah, I I think the further we get away from like. Khabib's run and I'm still going to say he's the greatest lightweight I'm not I'm not putting Charles past him at this point but the further we get away from it and kind of reflect on what he did and and like part of me looks at like how calculated Khabib was and the the infrequency of how you know him fighting and like in some ways I think now that we're getting further and further away from it that that I think maybe takes away from like what the run was as opposed to more active champions and putting it on the line more often and taking matchups that maybe aren't the most um, stylistically advantageous in the world and I I like I'm I, I I'm kind of see I feel like Islam's kind of in the same boat as Khabib. Like, I I don't feel like he's going to be a super active champion. I think he's going to be very calculated with what fights he'll take and what fights he won't take. And, you know, I think they're... Like, I would have never said this a year or two ago, but I think there could be a path where if, if Charles were to get that opportunity, maybe, and beat Islam, where I could say, yeah, maybe he is the greatest lightweight, which I would have never thought possible, but... Like I said, I think the further we get away from Khabib's, you know, like just watching how dominant he was uh, in those singular fights and you start looking at the big picture after you've had time to digest it and just the, the again, the the lack of activity, how long it felt like, you know, there was between fights and, and all of that, it, it makes me appreciate like the Israel Adesanya's, the Charles Oliveira's, uh, the Alexander Volkanovskis, these champions that are extremely active, that are willing to put it out on the line, that take on all comers and, and don't cherry pick opponents. Uh, good for Charles. And I, I hope he gets the opportunity against Islam. Yeah, you know, for me, um, the, I think the only thing, and it probably shouldn't even be this way, but the only thing that kind of tips Khabib over Charles in my mind is the fact that he never lost. Uh, the undefeated right. record that he's got, 29-0. Right. But if you put the resumes next to each other, even though Charles has some losses on his record, the names on Charles' list kind of wipes Khabib's out of the water. Uh, not only Charles, but if if Dustin Poirier just could become undisputed champion, I think that he would be the greatest lightweight of all time, in my, in my opinion. His, yeah. res- his resume... Uh, beats all of them in, in my mind. He just needs to get that get that title. But um, I, you know, like you said, you know, Khabib had a lot of uh, injuries, and then he couldn't like consistently make weight. So there was just a lot of time in between him fighting. I, I remember he, there was a lot of time that he took off, and he came back against a guy named uh, Daryl Horcher. I want to. I'm not for sure on this, but I want to say that fight might have happened in Oklahoma City. But anyway, um, he fights Daryl Horcher and just completely uh, smokes him. Uh, but like the, the biggest wins that Khabib has on his record, he's got Conor McGregor, he's got Justin Gaethje, he's got Dustin Poirier. 
Uh, he's got Edson Barboza as well. Uh, but, like, he won the title from Ally Aquinta. I mean, that's no fault of his own. Um, he was supposed to fight Tony, and then, right. you know, that, that whole week was a shit show. But, I mean, he, he, he doesn't have a Tony Ferguson on his record. He doesn't have, uh, you know, just, like, he doesn't have a run of just killers that he went through. Um, I mean, I, it, it didn't, that run didn't happen until the very end. And it's just Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje. Those are three of the greatest things that you can have on a resume. But before that, it's just kind of, eh, yeah, you know, like, and, and Charles whatever. has Gaethje and Poirier on his, on his resume as well. Right. Yeah. And, and he's got more killers on his resume. Plus Chandler. Darius, plus Dar- Chandler. Yeah. yeah plus Tony Ferguson, if, Kevin Lee. If, if, if Charles is able to add Islam to that list, which is basically a mini Khabib plus winning the title again, I think Charles is probably going to be the greatest lightweight of all time. I, I, I just think that even though Khabib is undefeated, that resume just isn't strong enough uh, to to compare to some of these guys like a Charles and a Dustin. If they can just win yeah. the title and, and add uh, Islam Akachev's name to that list, I think they might tip the scales over Khabib. Yeah. Um, I, I think in terms of being calculated, like I, I – I... I would love to see Charles get that that rematch. I would love to see that that fight again. Um, I doubt it happens uh, immediately. Maybe you know down the line, but I, if you're Islam, there's no way you want to see Charles again. When coming up in July, you're going to get Poirier and Gaethje, and I mean the winner of that is a much better matchup for Islam than Charles Oliveira, right? Plus, like. What person on earth following the winner of Poirier Gaethje is not going to want to see that guy get a title opportunity, right? Yeah, I mean the the you know the the amount of publicity that that fight's going to get in July with Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, they're literally headlining a pay per view. Uh, they're ha- they're having the BMF title, um, so it's going to be made a big deal. And whoever comes out. After after that barn burner of a fight, that's going to be an incredible fight. Whoever comes out on top in that fight is going to most likely, um, you know, be the sexiest name right out there in terms of like pay per view buys and all that stuff. But you know, we talked about this last week. Like, whoever wins that fight, most likely, unless it's a quick knockout like Charles just got, they're not going to be ready. I don't expect. Poirier and Gaethje to be quick. I think that's going to be a slugfest. I don't expect them to be ready for October. I mean, they're basically fighting in the beginning of August, um, and and I don't know exactly the date for the Abu Dhabi card in October, but that's two months or two and a half months. That's not enough time. Charles went in there and 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 left the fight with Darius unscathed. I think at the, at this point. Charles is going to be the guy that's there for him to fight in October. Right. I don't think Poirier and Gage is going to be there. But I'll add this. I do think if Volk can beat Yair and come out unscathed, I think he could be a name that, you know, could get in the way of Charles getting that rematch. And I think that I think Islam would probably take Volk again before before Charles. Yeah. 100%. Although I I don't think that he wants that fight again either. Of yeah, I mean of the like he would take the Poirier Gaethje winner first. Yes, but if he can't get that, he would take Volk. 
And then if, if Charles is the guy that's there, he'll take that. But he'll he will come out and say like, brother, I, I beat this guy. Right. Uh, why do I fight with this guy already? I beat him. I smash him. I submit him. Everyone talk about he's the greatest submission. I submit him. So like, yeah. yeah. I mean, we we know how that camp kind of works. Like, uh, Khabib fought mostly fought once a year, and um, he fought uh, a g- great matchups. Right, yeah. strikers. Like, um, all right. Um, his last five was uh, it was I Quinta, it was Edson Barbosa, it was Connor. It was Gaethje and Poirier. Michael Johnson Strikers. right before that. And, and Michael, that's right. That's right. Michael Johnson. He didn't fight. Not one guy. <laughs> yeah, not one. <laughs> not one guy who could like give him issues in that area. Yeah. He had such an advantage. And now, you know, K- Khabib is telling Islam to be smart with who you fight, when you fight them, that type thing. Uh, and now I think you, you mentioned this um, when we were texting, like, Islam's going to start fighting once a year. And like, yep. when I started thinking about it, like that was what Khabib did. He fought right. once a year against strikers. He, yeah. He, I, inactive champion who is going to be very calculated in who he fights. And like, it wouldn't surprise me, Will, if he didn't fight in Abu Dhabi at, uh, what will that be? 294. Yeah. Like it wouldn't surprise me at all if he decided to wait and and take on Gaethje Chandler winner or or excuse me Gaethje Poirier winner uh, at a later time if that guy's not ready yeah. like I I think that's that's how calculated they are and because I mean he comes from the Khabib school and look I I think the other side of this that that also kind of gives me that impression like think about his run to the title and I'm not discounting how good he is I, I we've said for years that he was a future champion but the RDA fight didn't happen and he zero part of him wanted to pursue actually making that fight happen. The Darius fight didn't happen. Zero part of him wanted to pursue actually making that fight happen. And I think he's going to try to avoid Charles now. Uh, and I, I would be, I'd be stunned if it were anybody other than, than Poirier Gaethje next. Yeah. I mean, let, let's just go back to um, that time. Like we, acknowledge that islam was on his way to uh to a title shot right but we knew that he needed that signature win to 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 solidify him being the number one contender and we both thought that the rda fight and the benil fight if he were to win just one of those fights then he would be undeniable like we knew we already knew that this guy was capable of being champion. We knew that this guy was special. We know that he was basically the boogeyman of the lightweight division. We knew it was only a matter of time, but we were like, oh, well, wait a minute. Now, what if he, what happens if he fights RDA? What happens yeah. if he fights Benil? We we never got to see those because like, I think that Charles weight miss was the best thing that happened to uh, to Islam. Not only the Charles weight miss, but also the the Benil injury. Yep. If those two things don't happen, he's Islam is going to have to fight RDA or he's going to have to fight uh, Benil Dariush. And then he he beats Bobby Green, who wasn't ranked at the time. And Khabib, I don't know what what he said uh, to to Dana, but he goes from Islam goes from Bobby Green to fighting for the title. That <laughs> yeah. has to be 
Yeah, that that has to be a, a, a Khabib uh, influenced decision because um, there's no way if that was anybody else that uh, that they would have gotten the title shot. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just I think it's just unfortunate. I at the time, I know Benil was hurt, but Benil deserved that title fight more than than Islam did. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, it, you know, it's just it, it was tough. You know, like whenever Islam did fight someone who was you know kind of good on the ground and uh, who could match him, Tiago Moises. Areas, uh, Tiago Moises. He did. He, the fight went longer than expected. Four rounds. But he did right? end up winning. But I'll give you this one. What about when he fought uh, Saruki? Saruki and yeah, that fight he did win that fight, but that fight was close. close. Like Islam was tested in that fight, and Saruki but, has said he wants that fight again. And is that's another one that Islam has kind of acted like, yeah, yeah no, I already, I already beat this like, guy. I, yeah. I, I I fight with this guy already. I beat this yeah. guy. So like, man, and, and since then, he's fought Dan Hooker, who took the fight on on last minute's notice, beat him. Bobby Green, who took the fight on last minute's notice, like so, like how are how is those two wins worthy of a title shot? Like you're fighting guys on short notice, and sure, you know you're champion now, so like you've beaten Charles and you've beaten Volk, you know, props to you, but like you you don't get a title shot. Like I know Khabib says this guy has won ten fights in the in the light, in lightweight division. Him and Charles has the most uh has the longest winning streaks and all this stuff that's the only legs that he had to stand on but he'd had no ranked wins so like i just don't understand how he was able to get that title fight but but that could be influence man yeah no doubt all right let's uh let's quickly hit uh a few of the other fights on the main card um Mike Malott was a pretty big deal in that Canadian uh, arena on Saturday night. He gets the big win, the the round two finish, and uh, Canada has a poster boy, right? Yeah, I mean, so much so that he had the fans toppling over the, the <laughs> rail, and uh, the fight almost didn't happen because Mike Malott almost got squashed by a, by a crowd of fans. Um but yeah, I, uh, I think, um, the way that Mike Malott handled that, um, you know, the, he was the, the, the last Canadian standing, um, he was the guy who, um, that the UFC wanted the, the, the Canada crowd, uh, to really get behind. And, you know, I think all week long, the, the crowd showed him love. Um, and, you know, I wasn't sure how he would come out and fight, but, um, with the, you know, with all that pressure, but like that first body kick that he threw hurt uh, Fugit, and uh, he pretty much had his way with them uh, uh, after that. Uh, that was a, a flawless performance. Um, I think uh, Canada's got uh, a nice prospect on their hands. Um, it'll be interesting to see what's next for him. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't uh, fast track him by any stretch. I think he's still got some more things to show, but. Yeah. Uh, very very promising performance there from from Mike Malott. He looks good. I can't I can't figure out like what where I think his ceiling is yet, and that you know maybe he just needs a, a few more, not like top fifteen matchups, but higher profile matchups to really get a good gauge. But uh, seems like a very likable guy, uh, pretty good on the microphone, and uh, is a finishing machine. So you keep uh, giving him some uh, little step up in competition. He keeps getting finishes. Um, you know, there might be a, a marquee name there for sure. Um, 
Dan Ige, Nate Landwehr was one of the fights I was most excited about on this card, and it kind of went the way that I thought it was going to go. Uh, Dan Ige, just, I think, skill for skill, is just on a, another level, right? Just more polished, more clean. Uh, but in round three, I think we saw what makes Nate Landwehr Nate Landwehr, which is that dog and uh, just ability to, to d- dig deep and, and uh, you know, try and brawl. Uh, I thought he got round three, but I thought Dan Ige had clearly distance himself in those first two rounds and, and Danny gay gets the win. Yeah. You know, um, like you said, there was a, a skill gap between, uh, Ige and Nate Landwehr, but, uh, in terms of just being a dog, you know, Nate Landwehr that he's got all that and then some, um, and then, you know, he's a, he's a tracks, uh, runner. He ran track in college. So like, you know, his gas tank is there. That's why, you know, as these fights go on, you know, he's, he's showing that he's got a good chin, uh, it's hard to take him out. And then if you're able to make it to the third round with Nate, he's still going to be there giving you the same type of looks he's giving you in the first round. Um, so, you know, Danny Gay got off to a great start and got those first two rounds. And then Nate Landwehr came on at the end as expected. But, um, you know, like you said, Danny Gay showing that he's uh, a ranked featherweight for a reason. The main card had uh, started with an uh, awesome matchup in the middleweight division, Marc-Andre Barrio and Eric Anders. This was a really fun fight, and I appreciated Eric Anders uh, seemingly just trying to walk down Barrio the entire fight, but to Barrio's credit, I mean, he had something every step of the way, and this this fight had me on the edge of my seat. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, these two went at it. I wasn't sure what type of fight we would see, but... Uh, these two basically brawled for three rounds. Uh, Mark Andre Burial dropped Eric Anders in the first round, but that didn't stop Eric Anders from pursuing him the entirety of the fight, uh, really making Burial work, really making him move. Uh, I think both guys were completely exhausted after that and rightfully won a fight of the night. I thought that was an incredible fight. Um, both guys uh, left it all out there, and the uh, and the right guy won. I thought the rounds were were, were close, but I thought clearly – uh, Mark Andre Barrio was the better guy. Yeah. Feature prelim was uh, a fight where I thought this potentially had fight of the night uh, caliber matchup. Um, Nasruddin Imavov and Chris Curtis. This whole thing is unfortunate, right? It's unfortunate for the second straight fight for Chris Curtis uh, that it ends the way that it does. And for Imavov, like, I think it's, you know, for as much as I, I saw people saying how bad they felt for Chris Curtis, like Amavov was completely having his way in that fight, right? He gets a a no decision in a fight that he was cruising to a victory in. Yeah, I, uh, he was definitely going to, uh, on his way to win that, winning that fight. And it's just unfortunate for Chris Curtis um, that he had to deal with the headbutt again. But I, I almost think that this is kind of a blessing in disguise because he was on his way to losing that fight, right. but instead of he he got that head had a headbutt, and now he's you know it was a no contest. Um, I I think you know both guys needed that win or needed that fight to kind of see where they were going to go next. I wouldn't be surprised if they if the UFC just kind of put this back together and ran it back on a fight night or something. Um, but I I do think that this fight should be ran back. Uh, but yeah, I I think uh, the the way that I thought this fight was going to go. Uh, Imavov's length being a problem for for Chris Curtis, it, it was playing out exactly how I thought it would. And um, I, I think uh, Chris Curtis, you know, will will look at the film and 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 try to find a way to 
uh, be able to push the pace and move forward. But uh, on that night, uh, Imaba was going was on his way to an easy win. I actually don't need to see this fight run back. I mean, I, you know, it's unfortunate that we didn't have a, a winner in terms of the official record book, but I saw enough of that fight that I, I don't feel like I would need to see these guys again. Um, I, I, Imavov, I thought was, uh, had, had all the answers for what Chris Curtis was throwing out there. Um, I would like to see both guys move on, but if they do it again, I, I think I would, uh, I would still like Imavov, uh, to, to find a way to victory. Um, real quick and, and we'll make picks for this upcoming fight card. Um, Miranda Maverick. What happened? Man, I don't know what happened to her. Um, I guess who I thought, I thought that Miranda Maverick was who Aaron Blanchfield is. You know, the I thought her skill level, the her cold-bloodedness, the cold-bloodedness of, of Aaron Blanchfield, I thought that's the type of skill that Miranda Maverick had. But it just kind of seems like she went into this fight um, kind of thinking that she had, was, had already got the win. And I don't think she anticipated uh, Jasmine Jazdavisius to be as tough as she was. It just seemed like Jasmine wanted it more than, than Miranda. And it was, it was kind of unfortunate to see because uh, at this point, Miranda Maverick needs all the wins that she can get in order to get back to where uh, her potential is, yeah. which is in that top uh, 10, top five of the, of the division. But it looks like we're, we're, we're trending in the wrong direction. Uh, I remember she she went to the weigh-ins, the ceremonial weigh-ins with the shades on, and you know I just didn't like her demeanor all week. It just kind of seemed like she was too good, and um, it, on fight day it just didn't seem like she wanted yeah. it as much as Jasmine, and it cost her the the win. I, I hope that she can recalibrate and and get things back on the right track because I still think she is uh, top fifteen, top ten caliber. And who knows how, you know, how high she could go if, if she gets things going back in the right direction. But uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't count her out yet. But hopefully, like you said, uh, things kind of get pointed in the right direction uh, with whatever it is that's that's currently got her hung up a little bit. Uh, all right. We, we have uh, a UFC fight card on Saturday night that we will pick in a moment. But, well, how about the Bellator fight card on Friday night, which is a big t- I mean, in terms of the recent Bellator cards, this one is about as as big as we've had in a while, isn't it? Oh yeah, um, this is this is the best Bellator card uh, uh, of the year. Um, you've got uh, Vadim Nimkov and Yoel Romero for the light heavyweight uh, title. You've got uh, uh, Pitbull, Patricio Pitbull, trying to win a third uh, title in a third division um, against Sergio Pettis, who's returning. Um, we, we know that Patchy Mix is waiting in the wings for the winner of this fight, but uh, this is such a big fight. Uh, History is on the line in this one. Uh, then you got Phil Davis and Corey Anderson, uh, a light heavyweight fight against two with two former UFC guys, two guys who kind of both do the same thing. Um, I, I'm not sure how entertaining of a fight is going to be, but I think it's going to be <laughs> interesting to see how uh, yeah. those two styles mesh. Uh, and then you got uh, Daniel James on the card, a guy who's, who, who's been on a tear in the heavyweight division. So uh, it's going to be a fun, uh, very fun fight card. I think, um, like I said, Bell- this is Bellator's best uh, fight card of the year. Uh, Kyle Crutchmer from Tulsa on this fight card against Bobby Nash in the welterweight division. Uh, yeah, this fight card should be a lot of fun. I did see 
uh, a healthy amount of debate uh, between some MMA media about whether Nimkov Romero should be the main event or Sergio Pettis, Patricio Pitbull should be the main event. Thoughts for you? Well, you know, I, I, I guess I don't think that you could go uh, a wrong way here because I think that Nimkov and Romero, um, of course, like Yoel's got the the UFC name behind him. Like he's main evented many UFC pay-per-views and, uh, uh, and he's a big name that came from the UFC. So people are going to know that name. And Nimkov uh, is your champion. So, like, just the thought of having a, a former UFC guy going for the title, I think that's uh, uh, going to, you know, um, resonate with the with the MMA crowds. And But, you know, Bellator, if I'm Bellator, I kind of want my own, um, my own homegrown guys like the Pitbulls, uh, like Patricio, and then, you know, Sergio Pettis is a former UFC guy who's now your bantamweight champion. But, you know, the fact that there that that history is on the line and that this could be a, a guy who's winning his third three division you know, title. Yeah. Like that's unprecedented. Like no one's done that ever. I don't think in any MMA organization. So I don't think you could go wrong. But if it were me, I would put Pitbull and Pettis on last. But I, I completely understand why you would have Yoel um, and um, Nimkov and last. I, I've been a Yoel Romero fan for a long time, uh, and I love the Nimkov-Romero fight. I think that's a great fight. And on any other card, I don't even think it's uh, something we're discussing. But right. you can, like, Patricio Pitbull's your biggest star in the entire promotion, right? Right. The biggest yeah. star in your promotion, and he's going for a championship in a third division. Like I don't even I don't even know how this would be like how on earth is that not the main event and how is that not like the feature of everything you're promoting That's your guy It's the face yeah. of your organization going for a third division championship You know maybe they're like giving themselves like a like a out in case like that fight ends up like sucking or like if yeah. like Pibble gets knocked out early because of the weight cut or something like that then you have like you know Yoel Romero who you know just was like barking at the cage after he knocked out um oh gosh I'm gonna uh man I just uh Melvin Manoff after he just knocked him out he was just like barking at the cage and everything so um yeah you can't go wrong but yeah I would I would do Pibble for sure yeah all right, uh, let's make some picks for UFC Fight Night Vittori Cannoneer. Um, I will mention our guy Jimmy Flick from Tulsa is uh, on the prelims in, on this fight card against Alessandro Costa. Uh, Jimmy Flick is the betting underdog in the flyweight division. Uh, but the main card has six feature fights beginning in the welterweight division. It is Muslim Salikov at minus 200 versus Nicholas Dalby or, uh, at plus 170 will i believe we were in a tie until last week when you correctly took mike malott over adam fugit i had the fugit side which gives you the lead back my friend and gives you the first selection what is our what is our fight um welterweight division muslim salikov at minus 200 versus nicholas dalby at plus 170 
Okay, I was looking at the the Miles Johns um, Barcelos fight. I like that fight a lot. That's a good but, fight um, too. Uh, Death taxes a man of Oh, absolutely. You, little Yoel Romero in Miles Johns. <laughs> That's uh, right. So uh, I think this is a a, a fun opening fight, um, but for me, I think it's just really hard. Um, to go against Salikov here. Um, I, I know Nicholas Dalby is tough. Uh, I, I do expect it to be a, a, a very competitive fight, but uh, I like uh, Salikov here. I agree with that. I think Dalby is a, a tough guy. Uh, Salikov is just, I think, such a... Um, so much of a more skilled striker. I think the, you know, the arsenal, the kicks... Um, I think he's just got a lot more for Nicholas Dalby than than Dalby has for him. So give me Salikov as well. All right, lightweight division. We have Nicholas Moda and Manuel Torres. Torres is the minus one seventy favorite, plus one forty for Moda. Yeah, you know, I think this is going to be a, a very fun fight. Um, there's a reason why these two. Um, you know, you don't really know too much about them, but there's a reason why both of them are on uh, the main card of this. I think uh, stylistically they match up very, very well. Uh, one from Mexico, one from Brazil. So, you know, uh, you already know how that goes. But um, if I had to make a if I had to make a pick, um, which I do have to make a pick, um, <laughs> <laughs> if I had to make a pick, what? Um, Give me uh, give me Torres. I, I, I'll, okay. I'll take Manuel Torres. This, for me, has the potential to be a fight of the night. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, a couple of contender series grads. Um, Moda, I thought, coming off of contender series, was one of those, like, I'm going to highlight this guy and pay attention to what he does, and then Jim Miller knocks his ass out. Um, which, like... It's Jim Miller, right? I mean, welcome to the UFC, kid. Uh, here's Jim Miller, uh, the ultimate yeah, experience. Yeah, versus like young prospects. So uh, I don't, I don't necessarily hold anything against him in terms of of losing that matchup. But um, I, I feel like I what I've seen from Torres so far uh, just gives me the impression that the ceiling is a little bit higher there. Uh, I, I think this will be a fun fight. I think that. Uh, there's a finish in this fight. And because of that, I feel like Torres may be more likely to get that finish than, than Moda. But I, I, this is potentially going to be a really good one. All right. In the featherweight division, we have Pat Sabatini and Lucas Almeida. Sabatini is the minus 175 favorite, plus 150 for Lucas Almeida. You know, I know uh, Pat Sabatini lost that fight against Damon Jackson, but I still think he's a. Uh a talent in this featherweight division. Um, he was on a, a, a nice little run before uh, that Damon Jackson loss. And I, I think Damon Jackson probably would have beat a, a lot of people on that night. Um, he had a lot working, you know, I guess like spiritually <laughs> working with him yeah. uh, on that night. Um, but I, I'm still kind of high on Pat Sabatini. I don't know what the ceiling is in this division, but uh, I do think that he's got some, um, some talent and uh i think that he will win this fight uh over lucas almeida 
I agree. I think it's a bounce back fight for Pat Sabatini, who uh, like I think the reality is he got caught, right? He got caught and it happens sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, I think his his grappling and gas tank is going to be the difference here. I think Almeida is dangerous, but um, I like Sabatini over three rounds to uh, to impose his will to wear down Almeida and and get the win. All right, in the middleweight division, we have gigantic prospect Christian Leroy Duncan and Armand Petrosian. Christian Leroy Duncan is the minus 160 favorite, plus 130 for Petrosian. Yeah, um, Christian Leroy Duncan is a is a big-time prospect, uh, but Petrosian's been around the block a few times uh, coming off a of contender series. Um he lost to Boyhaio, who is, you know, who wrestled him the whole time. But uh, the way this fight is, you know, this is going to be a, probably a striking match. And, uh, you know, Petrosian being a kickboxer always has a, um, you know, has a an advantage. Um, yeah. And, and it, he's always in these type of fights. But I'm a big fan of, of Christian Leroy Duncan. I think um, he's going to be a problem. And I think he gets this one done. Um, I'm, I'm going Christian Leroy Duncan. We have seen Petrosian slow the hype. Uh, he did beat the RoboCop last year, right? Uh, this is a guy that I think can scrap. And this, to me, is a very fun matchup. And I, I like this matchup in terms of, like, the test for Christian Leroy Duncan to to kind of, like, verify how real is the hype here because Petrosian is a dangerous threat. But... I'm with you, man. I think the hype train is real. Uh, I think what we've seen from him uh, is the real deal, and I think he uh, has a a spectacular type of performance. All right, co-main event takes us back to the lightweight division, as we talked about this guy earlier in the show. Armand Sarukian and Joaquim Silva. Oddshark.com has Armand Sarukian as the minus 1,000 favorite Plus six hundred for Joaquim Silva. Yeah, I mean, Armand's fought you know the best of the best. Like he gave Islam uh, his toughest fight in the UFC. Um, you know, he he barely lost against Gamrat, but like we know how talented this guy is. He's good everywhere. Um, I think you know he's been struggling to get a fight, and and Joaquim Silva just happened to be a guy the guy that put his hand up and said, "Hey, I'll fight him." So um, props to Joaquin Silva for taking this fight, you know, uh, basically rolling the dice. Anything could happen. Um, this is a guy who's knocked out Jared Gordon. But, you know, he's, uh, you know, he, he's lost against Hack Brass. He's lost against Ricky Glenn. He's coming off of a win over Jesse Rosan, Ronson. But, you know, this is Armand Saruki in here. Um, this is, you know, the odds are what they are for a reason. So I'm going Armand. I think Armand Sarukian potentially is a top five lightweight in the world. Uh, and I think it's the best division in the world. So, um, you know, this was supposed to be back in April, I believe, Hanato Moicano. That fight didn't happen. Sarukian needed a fight. Uh, Silva steps up. But I think Sarukian reminds people uh, why he is... Uh, a ranked lightweight, and I'll be curious to see uh, what ultimately happens for Sarukian next, but this should be a, a pretty dominant win. All right, for the main event of Saturday night's fight night, 
Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier in the middleweight division. Oddshark.com has Vittori at minus 110 and has Cannonier at minus 110. Will, it is literally a coin flip. A pick em. Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier in the middleweight division. Yeah, I would have this fight as a coin flip too. I think um, uh, this fight is very, very hard to, to really judge. Um, you know, I, I think Vittori um, is very hard to put out. Um, I don't think we've seen him drop before. Um, and Cannoneer, I feel like he's he's you know grown into his middleweight body, and um, he's got power, and he can go five rounds. We've seen him go five rounds a few different times. Uh, to me, you know, I think Vittori's activity, you know, I, I think the way that he chopped at Roman Delice's legs, uh, the last fight could play a factor. Um, I, you know, this is about banking rounds and how you can bank rounds because I, I just don't see a finish from either guy. I think this is going to be a close, close decision. Um, I... I'm kind of thinking that Vittori is going to be the one who's going to be more active. But I think that Jared Cannonier is going to be the one who lands the bigger shots, the more impactful shots. They won't knock him out, but they'll be like, wow, like how is Vittori still on his feet after getting hit like that? So um, when I think about it like that, man, like, like, you know, this is a coin flip, you know, any you know this fight could play out in a, in a lot of different ways, but at the end of the day, I think this is probably going to be like a split decision type of fight where either guy could have won. So I'm just going to go with Cannonier because I think he's going to be landing the bigger shots. I think you you framed this uh, in in nearly the exact same way that I would have framed it. Uh, I think it's a coin flip for a reason. I think in terms of uh, banking rounds. I, I do think this goes the distance in terms of banking rounds. I look at it the same way you do. I think Vittori will be more active. I think Vittori will, through the course of five minutes, be able to rack up points, leg kicks, uh, grappling exchanges, things of that nature. But all of that can be completely negated, right, by a couple of big shots landing. And I think Jared Cannonier can steal a couple of rounds by landing just a couple of big shots. And it kind of just becomes one of those, like to me, this, this becomes one of those fights where it just depends on what the judges maybe value, right? Do you value like one guy putting a decent amount of volume on the other, or like can a couple of shots in terms of damage, um, you know, maybe swing the round the other way. I, I think that maybe either way, this thing is decided. You might have people saying that the other guy deserved to win, um, I mean, I, I thought, and I, I let me give it a quick disclaimer. I was on vacation in the Cayman Islands watching it through a very choppy stream. So take that for what it's worth. But I thought Sean Strickland beat Cannoneer uh, via choppy stream on vacation. Uh, and I wasn't able to like watch it crystal clear. But from, from what I saw, I, I thought it looked like Sean Strickland had won that fight. Maybe it's a similar situation where... It's the volume versus like the big shots uh, uh, sort of, of judging. I'll take Marvin Vittori um, because I, I think like 
again, the volume is going to be a lot more. And if Cannoneer doesn't land those big shots to me, it's it's definitely going to look like Marvin Vittori is doing more. Uh, so, And I think Marvin Vittori is just so much more skilled all the way around than Cannoneer. But the, the power is the X factor. Um, give me Marvin Vittori by, I think, to your point, split decision. Yeah, it's it's going to be a decision. Like if there was a fight where you could where we could be opposite, like this is the one because it could be, you know, I think it's going to be a split decision regardless. Uh, I think the fight's going to be close. Um, Vittori's leg kicks. I, I think, you know, that Robert Whitaker fight, um, I think that helped Vittori. I think um, that performance against Delice uh, was one of his better performances, even though I thought, you know, Delice you know, did some great things in that yeah. fight. But just the way that Vittori was able to steal some rounds just by being active, even though Delice did was landing some big shots. But Knowing like, how to the use the, 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 the all-around skill set, right, to score points, basically. For, for sure. Even though Delice was landing big shots, like Vittori, like the, the story of the fight was how he was chopped at the legs. So um, I think that's a, another, I think that's a path that he'll look to use again. But um, I think Cannoneer um, uh, has grown into this middleweight division and he's been five rounds. I think he'll be able to land some big shots and his leg kicks, he's got leg kicks as well. He He, he throws his kicks very, very powerful. So, uh, I think this is going to be a very close, just, you know, a chess match. Um, it'll be fun. There we go. That is uh, Saturday night's fight card. We will save the is uh, Jim Miller and Donald Cowboy Cerrone a Hall of Famer conversation for another podcast, although that was uh, highly debated over this weekend on Twitter between uh, a lot of the big MMA heads as well. That That will come on another podcast, but... Uh, Will, good to catch up. Uh, great to break down UFC 289. Uh, once again, Amanda Nunes is the GOAT, and I will say it just one more time. Charles Dubronx Oliveira. Will, have a great week, my friend. Mic drop. Peace. <laughs>